seasons of marriage, persevering by grace through the seasons of marriage. In a secular book entitled Saving Your Marriage from the Fairy Tale Falters, Elisa Bowman tells how she felt trapped in a very unhappy marriage to her husband Mark. According to Elisa, when she first married Mark, he was Prince Charming. But soon thereafter, he turned into a frog. <laughs> a silent and a strong one, but nevertheless a frog. Elisa became so unhappy with Mark that between his 40, 40th and 41st birthdays, she literally fantasized at least 210 times, I guess she wrote it down, that Mark would drop dead of a heart attack. In fact, she mentally planned out every detail of his funeral, including a nice eulogy. Then she fantasized about meeting a truly great man who would indeed be her Prince Charming, a man who would understand her perfectly, communicate with her openly, and with whom she could live happily ever after. Perhaps even more startling is that Elisa claims that her marriage to Mark is typical of all marriages in America. Well, obviously, I don't know to what degree that may or may not be true. Certainly, Elisa and Mark don't profess to be Christians. But what I can tell you is that God has a lot to say about this in His Word. God talks about how Christian husbands are to live with their wives according to His divine plan. And there are many places throughout Scripture where God records these instructions for us. But this morning, I want us to go over to just one single verse in the book of 1 Peter. If you want to open your Bibles there. To 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. The Apostle Peter writes here, he says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So that your prayers may not be hindered. In the summer of 64 A.D., a devastating six-day fire broke out in Rome, burning 10 of the 14 districts of that city. And although the Roman emperor Nero was the one who probably set the fires, rumors spread quickly among the Christians, among the Roman citizens, that it was the Christians that actually set the fire. And as a result of that, a great persecution broke out against the Christians throughout the Roman Empire. And the recipients of this letter were primarily exiled Christians dispersed throughout the five provinces that we see in chapter 1 and verse 1 of this epistle. Peter is writing to them approximately six months after the outbreak of this persecution. It was probably in late 64, early 65 A.D. And he wrote it in order to encourage them. And really, as one of the central themes, really the central theme in this particular letter is how should Christians live and respond in the face of undeserved animosity? How should Christians live in the face of unjust persecution and hatred? And besides that, how can they do that without losing hope? And how can they do that without becoming bitter? That's really the theme that Peter is outlining for us here in this book. And the section of the letter in which this particular verse is founded, that we're going to study, chapter 3, verse 7, actually begins all the way back in chapter 2, verse 13, and extends through verse 7 of chapter 3. And in this particular section, Peter is instructing these exiled, persecuted Christians how to live a Christ-like life when surrounded by a hostile world. 
we're surrounded by unbelievers. And in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, he talks about how Christian wives should submit themselves to their husbands, even though their husbands may in fact be unbelievers. How can Christian wives do that? How can they submit themselves? How can they respect their husbands, even if their husbands are unbelievers? And finally, here in the verse that we're going to be studying this morning, he says that Christian husbands should live wisely and honorably with their wives, even if their wives are not Christians. Now notice very carefully there the use of the word likewise. Very at the front end of verse 7, he says likewise, husbands, or in the same way. That takes us all the way back to verse 1 of chapter 3, which refers to how a Christian wife is to live with an unbelieving husband. So when Peter employs the term likewise here at the front end of verse 7, he is probably referring to a Christian husband who is married to an unbelieving wife. But regardless of whether in this passage we're dealing with Christian husbands married to Christian wives or Christian husbands married to unbelieving wives, God gives two clear ways here in which Christian husbands are to live with their wives. <clears throat> and that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. First of all, he says that we are to live with our wives in an understanding way. Look there at the beginning of that verse. It says literally, according to knowledge. According to knowledge. Live with your wife in an understanding way. Literally translated is according to knowledge. What does that mean? To live with your wife in an understanding way? It means to live with her according to knowledge. That means to understand my wife. If I'm going to live with my wife in an understandable way, then I have to, or according to knowledge, I have to understand her. The idea here is that the husband is to have an ongoing, it's present tense, active voice, he is to have an ongoing, conscious, growing knowledge of his wife. The husband is not just sensitive to what is going on in her life, but he is making an ongoing, conscientious, intentional effort to study her, to comprehend her, and then based upon that comprehension, to live with her in an understanding, sensitive way. The world tells us, who on earth can understand women? <laughs> The implied response to that is always, of course, no one can understand women. Our culture doesn't even know what a woman is these days. <laughs> Much less truly understand them from God's perspective. And so many men use that as an excuse to not even make the effort to comprehend their wives. But God says to Christian husbands that we're to live with our wives in an understanding way. So if we're going to live with our wives in an understanding way, that is according to knowledge, there are several things that are required in order to do this. And I would like for us to look at three of them this morning. First of all, if we are going to understand our way, our wives, to comprehend them, it, it's going to require in first place time. Time. You can't live with your wife in an understanding way without spending time with her, without listening to her, without discerning what you hear her say and what you see her do. However much time it takes to know and to comprehend your wife is how much time you need to spend. And that requires men, as you know, intentionality. It doesn't just happen. I meet all too many husbands that just think that marriage just kind of happens. That your relationship with your wife just kind of happens. That you're just going to kind of understand her. It's just going to kind of just come naturally. Let me tell you, it doesn't. It doesn't. It requires intentionality. 
And it's not something that you just do the first year or up until the third year or up until the fifth year. And then you have learned everything about her that there is to know about her. You guys think, well, I've lived with her now for a year. I, I understand her completely. No, you don't. <laughs> as the years go by, she will pass through different stages of life as a woman. And each stage brings changes and transitions. And so you will need to take the time to understand her as she moves through all of those changes and transitions. So it requires time. If I'm going to live with my wife, in an understanding way, according to the instruction of the Apostle Peter here, it is going to require time. But it's also going to require study. Study. You thought you were through with school, right? Okay. If you're going to live with your wife in an understanding way, you're going to have to study her. You're going to have to study her. And this course of study is going to last the, the length of your marriage. It's going to last a lifetime, and it's going to require at least four areas that you need to study. Number one, you need to comprehend why God created woman. You're going to have to understand that. What is unique about the role of woman? What is unique, the unique role for which God created your wife. I'm sure you've noticed by now that she is not exactly like you are. She is different than you are. She is different physically than you are. She is different emotionally than you are. She, in a lot of the ways that she thinks, she is different than you are. And that man is good. That is good. That is good. And but it is going to require, in order for you and I to live with our wives in an understanding way, it is going to understand us understanding the reason that God created woman. God created your wife to be your helpmate. So that together you can be fruitful and multiply. Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. So that together you can support and encourage each other in your work. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. So that together you can worship and obey God together. Genesis chapter 2. You see, man cannot fulfill God's creation mandate alone. And so God gave to man Eve to be a helper suitable for him so that they could together fulfill God's creation mandate. Now, if you move into the New Testament, you see that in a primary way, for example, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 14 says that she is to bear children and manage her household. Whoa, we could spend about six years just on that, right? Do you understand what it means to bear children? No, you don't. Do you understand what it means to bear children and then to manage those children and to manage your household? Do you understand that? No, you just leave the house and go to work every day, right? But if you're going to live with your wife in an understanding way, you need to understand that God has given her the role of bearing children and managing her household. 1 Timothy 5.14. Titus 2, ch uh, chapter 2, verse 5 says that a wife is to be a worker at home, primarily. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 27 says that a wife and a mother is to watch over the ways of her household. And if you study Proverbs chapter 1, you see that that's a pretty comprehensive role that God has given her to do. So a godly man who sacrificially loves his wife works to support her in her God-given roles. Biblically, the burden, the primary burden of caring financially for the family falls upon the husband. A husband is to provide for his wife so that she can fulfill all of these things that God has created her to do. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his own relatives, especially for members of his own household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 says, If anyone is not willing to work, neither let him what? Eat. Uh, let me just address those of you that may not be married yet, but you would like to be married. You're planning to be married one day. 
Let me encourage you, even right now, before that happens in your life, this means that you should be making the kind of educational and employment decisions now, which will enable you to provide for your future wife and family. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 30 with me. Proverbs chapter 30. Keep your finger here in 1 Peter. Proverbs chapter 30. Look at verse 7. <clears throat> Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. Here we have the prayer of a truly wise man. <coughs> First of all, he asked the Lord to take falsehood and lying away from him. He asked the Lord to make him an honest man. But secondly, in the second half of the prayer, he asked the Lord to deliver him from the dangers posed by the extremes of both riches and poverty. Or wealth. If he has too much, he might cease depending on God. If he has too little, he might be tempted to be as the slugger and steal. <clears throat> Um, the reason I share those verses with you is because from the time I was a child, my dad shared those verses with me. Especially as I became a teenager, we would occasionally talk about well, what you're going to do. This was before he found out that God was calling me to be a missionary. But dad would often read these verses to me. And he would exhort me to learn a skill, to learn a trade that would serve me well, that I would be able to support my family well with that, a skill that would support me well in that. So that's just a word wise to the younger men, perhaps, that have not yet married. Understand the role for which God created woman. What is the unique role for which God created your wife? And unless you understand the role for which God has created your wife, you're not going to be able to live with her in an understanding way. But number two, secondly, you need to understand how God created woman. How God created woman. What is unique about their gender? Well, one of the primary ways is that God made a woman to bear children. During her childbearing years, Every month, typically, she has a menstrual cycle called a period that can last for up to a week. Her hormones rise during the first part of that cycle, and they drop in the second half of the cycle, resulting in physical, emotional, and mental symptoms sometimes, and sometimes they can be quite severe. You get married. You're studying your wife. You walk in the room one day, your wife is crying. Honey, why are you crying? I'm not crying. Yes, you are crying. I see the tears coming down your face. Why are you crying? I don't know. Yeah, there's got to be a reason that you're crying. No, I, I, I have no idea why I'm crying. <laughs> well, there may be a really good reason that she's crying, but it may be simply the result of these hormonal changes that are going on every month in her body because of how God created woman. Then she gets pregnant. And her body undergoes many significant transformations during those nine months. Some of the physical changes are visible, such as an expanding belly, weight gain, which she hates, and morning sickness. But other changes are less perceptible, less noticeable. For example, her heart increases in size to accommodate the extra flow of blood. The blood volume can increase by up to 50% to help support, supply enough oxygen to meet the growing demands of pregnancy. Her pulse rate rises slightly 
her blood pressure decreases, decreases typically a little bit. Sometimes she doesn't feel very well. This calls on the husband to be patient and understanding. If you're going to live with your wife in an understanding way, in comprehension, you need to understand these things. Don't just say to yourself, oh, that's the way of women. I don't have anything. No, you need to understand that. You need to know that so that you can live with her in an understanding way. And then after giving birth to this child, her days and nights run into each other. They run together. Her body's trying to catch up with it all, to deal with everything. So as her husband, you need to understand the ways that all of this is impacting her daily life. The average woman has her period for about 40 years, more or less. But the way that she feels about it and the way that it affects her isn't always static throughout that period of time. It changes over her lifetime. And so you as her husband need to be aware of those changes. And just about the time you think that you know your wife completely, she enters menopause. She begins to experience hot flashes, night sweats, mood swings, insomnia. She may experience a decreased sex drive and physiological changes that make intimacy difficult and painful. As her husband, you need to understand that if you're going to live with her in an understanding way, you have to understand that. You have to comprehend that. You have to understand the way that God has made woman. Third, this course of study is also going to involve how God created your wife in particular. Not just why God created woman, not just how God created woman in general, but what is unique about your wife? Some wives are musicians. Some are artsy. Some are gardeners. Some are cooks. Some wives are very social. And others are quieter and enjoy their alone time. Some are athletic. Most of them just hate athletics. Some seem to be natural mothers and homemakers, while others seem to struggle at being good mothers and homemakers. And so the thing that you're studying is your wife's husband is what makes your wife different and special than other women. You need to think about it. You need to think about it with intentionality. God gave you your wife with her uniquenesses, not someone else's wife. Well, you know, honey, so-and-so's wife. No, no. No. God gave you your wife. She is a gift to you. She is the prettiest woman in the world to you. She is the most gifted, talented woman in the world to you. There is no other woman for you. She's the only one. And God wants you to live with her in an understanding way. Fourth, this course of study is going to mean studying and comprehending what is unique about your wife's particular life experience. What is unique about your wife's particular struggles in life? Was she raised in an abusive home? Does she come from a home in which both of her parents were unbelievers or her parents divorced? These are life experiences that, knowingly or unknowingly, she can carry right into your marriage and can impact your marriage. Does she have a particular physical disability that creates unique challenges for her? Has God allowed chronic illness to be a part of her life? As her husband, you must learn to comprehend the unique challenges that God has providentially allowed her to live with and then discern how this impacts her in practical ways so that you can live conscientiously, sensitively, and knowingly with her in an understanding way. 
Some of you might remember a little girl at Grace Bible Church. This was back in the ancient days. Rachel Wildman. Carl and Ruth Wildman were parents. They were at Grace in the 90s. <coughs> Rachel was just the sweetest little girl, is the sweetest little girl, although now she's grown in a mother. Even as a child, and as she entered her teen years, her parents and Rachel realized that there was something going on physiologically in her body, but they, they couldn't figure it out. They, it would affect her, it would weaken her, uh, it would affect her life very much. They traveled all over to many well-known medical schools and hospitals trying to get to the bottom of it and really never did. She graduated high school, went off to a college in Alaska, Alaska of all places. There she meets and marries a fine young Christian man by the name of Will Lunday. They got married and, and entered the ministry. They first of all started out in Alaska until they couldn't keep their pipes from being frozen up all the time. And finally they uh, decided to come back to the States and do ministry. But her disability continued to worsen. It continued to grow. In fact... There were days and nights, sometimes run together, that she couldn't even get out of bed. She would have to lay on her bed, turn out the lights in her room for long periods of time because the light would affect her in adverse ways. Other things would affect her in adverse ways. And I mean, all the while, little children were coming along. I think now they've got four children, I believe. But there were literally days sometimes weeks and prolonged periods of time that Rachel could not take care of herself. Will, her husband, first of all, he went to seminary, ended up as an associate pastor in a couple of churches. And one of the reasons is he had a heart for the ministry, but the other one, he wanted enough flexibility in his daily schedule that he could go home in the morning or in the afternoon or whenever there would be a crisis so that he could help to tend to his wife and her needs and their growing family. After a while, that ministry didn't work out, and so more recently, he's going into another profession and studying to be a lawyer, and again, offering him the freedom of going home and tending to his wife. We've had the opportunity of being with him from time to time, and you will just not meet a sweeter couple than Will and Rachel Monday. They are so sweet, so humble, walking with the Lord, but talk about a husband that has learned to live with his wife at great sacrifice in an understanding way. He didn't just say, oh, you deal with it. He understood what she was going through, still goes through, probably will never, ever get better, probably will continue to worsen throughout her life. Guys, that's what it means to live with your wife on the basis of understanding who she is and what her needs are. Well, learning to live with our wife in an understanding way not only requires time and it not only requires study, but it also requires that ugly word called communication. Communication. What's Companionship requires communication. One of the many effects of the fall of man into sin is the breakdown of harmonious human communication. Adam's sin not only separated him from his creator and cast him out of his presence, but it also had the drastic effects on man and his relationship with his wife. I love what Kevin DeYoung said in his most recent book entitled Men and Women in the Church. He says this about it. He says, the relational wholeness between the man and the woman had been ruptured by the curse. End quote. Great what he's saying. The relational wholeness that there should be between the man and the wife had been ruptured by the curse. As a result of the fall, men have been prone to various sinful models of behavior. And one of these sinful behaviors is failing to communicate with your wife. Why? I'm not talking about talking to her. I'm talking about communicating with your wife. Marriage means oneness. How many are we? One. Marriage means oneness. And oneness means communion. And communion implies what? Communication. 
communication. Husbands are to live in communion with their wives. More than merely talking to each other, husbands and wives are to touch one another heart to heart in deep spiritual communion. They commune together. They commune together spiritually, romantically, physically, socially, mentally. They talk to each other. They share their hearts with each other. Remember, I think about that. I always think about Paul's exhortation to the Corinthians. You remember the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians? These false teachers had crept into the church, and so they, they were bad-mouthing the Apostle Paul. And so some of the Corinthian Christians had just kind of closed their heart to Paul. They had pulled back from Paul. And Paul writes to them, and he says, Open wide your heart to me. That's what it means to share your heart. The common complaint heard by wives is that my husband this doesn't talk to me. Or he does talk to me, he doesn't really share his heart with me. Or if he talks at all, it's with anger, it's with bitterness, it's with irritability, with impatience. So husbands, if you're going to learn to live with your wife in an understanding way, you have to learn to communicate with her. You have to open your mouth, open your heart, and live in communion with her. You don't have to do all the talking. As a matter of fact, you shouldn't do all the talking. You have to be a good listener as well. But you have to communicate with her. Over the years of biblical counseling, I've had many wives, unfortunately, tell me, I like to listen to my husband talk to our friends and to other people because that's the only way I find out what is really going on in his life and in his heart. Husbands, that ought not to be. Your wife should not have to wait until the next time you have a party with your friends over for her to listen to what you're telling them about what's really going on in your heart. You need to be telling her that. Communication. So Peter's instruction here is learning to live with your wife in an understanding way, but he also says there's a second way that we are to live with our wives, and that is in an honorable way. In an honorable way. Live with your wife in an honorable way. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, Peter says, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. The wife, by God's design, is typically physically weaker than her husband and in need of his protection, of his provision, of his strength. To show honor to her as the weaker vessel means that you treat your wife like a delicate piece of fine china. Some husbands treat their wives like Tupperware. You know what Tupperware is, don't you? It's unbreakable plastic that's made for everyday use. You can just throw Tupperware down, you can turn it, ring it, throw it, stomp on it, and it just won't break. No, that's not the way you're supposed to treat your wife, like Tupperware. You're supposed to treat your wife like fine piece of shiny. Even though the man has been given the duty of headship in his marriage, he's not to be harsh or bitter toward his wife. He doesn't speak to her with impatience, with irritation, with bitterness and anger. The husband isn't permitted to avoid his wife or stop choosing to love her, even if she becomes embittered toward you. The godly husband honors his wife and esteems his wife in his heart. He recognizes her talents. He appreciates her efforts. He considers her feelings. He trusts her fully. Guys, when is the last time that you sat down at your kitchen table and were blessed by a delicious meal that your wife had worked for several hours to prepare? And you sat there and you ate it, you enjoyed every single bite, 
but did you ever express to her how grateful you are for her work? Did you ever do that? Every morning, uh, probably my wife, I she would say, probably almost every meal. Definitely after breakfast, every morning, I take my wife's hand and I kiss her hand and I say, honey, thank you so much for this wonderful breakfast that you have prepared. I appreciate you. I love you. How often do you do that, guys? Do you appreciate her? Do you appreciate all that she does for you? Do you appreciate all that she does for your children, for the family, for your household? And do you express that? You see, leadership is not a heavy yoke on her shoulders, but rather the yoke of leadership should be a joy for her to rest in. What magnifies this even more is the next phrase here in this verse. It says, since they are heirs together with you of the grace of life. Now, in the context of 1 Peter chapters 2 and 3, as we've already noted, this particular wife is probably not a believer. The phrase, heir of the grace of life, refers to salvation rather than... Uh, the, the grace of life refers not to salvation, but rather to marriage. It refers to the blessing of marriage. The grace of life is the blessing of marriage. You see, permanent monogamous marriage between a man and a woman is the best human relationship that this earth offers. So Peter characterizes marriage as the grace of life because grace refers to the undeserved goodness and kindness of God. But God's common grace is the grace that He gives to everyone indiscriminately. He gives to everyone indiscriminately innumerable blessings that are not a part of salvation. For example, God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good indiscriminately. He sends rain on the just and the unjust indiscriminately. Marriage is a tremendous gift of God to all of humanity indiscriminately, to the just as well as to the unjust, to the good as well as to the bad. The unbeliever many times enjoys marriage, sometimes just as much as you do as a, as a believer. It is the grace of life. But while marriage is a grace to all, both believers and unbelievers, it is a special blessing, in particular, in a Christian marriage where both spouses are believers and they are growing Christians. In that case, the grace of marriage is even sweeter. It's even more precious. You might remember that Intimate companionship in marriage was a little-known concept in Rome in the first century. In that culture, husbands were not generally interested in intimate communion and fellowship with their wives. Rather, they were only concerned that their wives took care of the house and gave birth to their children. In contrast, the Christian husband is to cultivate a rich, loving friendship and companionship with his wife, whether she is a Christian or whether she is not a Christian. He talks to her. He opens up to her about his deepest thoughts, his feelings, his ideas. He spends time with her. He shares his dreams with her. She is his best friend. Let me introduce you to a word that you may not be familiar with today. Chivalry. <laughs> you ever heard that word? Chivalry. The Oxford Dictionary defines chivalry this way. It says it is the polite and kind behavior that shows honor, especially by men towards women. And we would add, obviously, especially by Christian men toward their wives. You open the door for her before you open the door for other women. You're on a trip together with a group. You help 
carry her baggage first before you help the other. I don't remember. This one wife said, you know, my husband was always helping a woman carry the bag, but he never helped me carry my bags. You open the door for her. Helping carry her baggage on a trip. Walk on the outside of the sidewalk for her. I know that these concepts are almost unheard of today, and I'm really aging myself. Give up your seat if necessary for her. Introduce her to people she doesn't know. You invite her to your company's party or Christmas picnic or whatever, and all of a sudden she's there with 50 other people that she's never seen but heard you talk about. Take the time to take her up to them and introduce her there to them. Chivalry. Help her put on her coat. Take it off. Make sure she gets home safely. You know, you're, you know she's out. You know she said, honey, I'm, I'm going to go shopping. You know that she said, I'm going to make three stops. And you know, I'm kind of the back of your mind saying, you know, it's probably going to take about an hour. All of a sudden, two hours gone by, three hours gone by. Where's my wife? That never happens to you, right? <laughs> what do you do when that happens? Do you pick up your phone and call? Honey, are you okay? Just wanted to check up on you. Do you need help getting home? Let her go first in line. Ask her out for a special day. Here's a really important one. Take a shower regularly. <laughs> and keep yourself clean. <laughs> Brush your teeth regularly. Even during COVID? <laughs> you see, toughness and tenderness are not mutually exclusive. The toughest man should be the most tender man because he has learned to live a self-controlled life. We didn't have time to talk about that last night, but as we looked at Titus chapter 2, verse 2, we, we were zeroed in on the whole concept of being sound in steadfastness. But in that same list, there's be sound in self-control. And so the toughest man can be the most tender man and say the most tender words and do the most tender things because he has learned by God's Spirit to be a self-controlled man. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 9 says, Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all of the days of your life. Life that God has given you under the sun. So the Christian husband, whether his wife is a Christian or not, is to honor, to respect, and to treasure her, to treat her in an honorable way. And the fact that your wife may not be a believer is not a pretext to treat her otherwise. Now, Peter closes this section here with a warning. It's really a sober warning. I, every time I read it, it's I just, you know, this is really, really sober, what Peter says here. God is so concerned about Christian husbands living in an understanding and loving way with their wives that he disciplines them when they don't. He disciplines them when they don't. This hindering of prayers is a form of God's fatherly discipline, which Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 17 talk about. They tell us that discipline is for our good and is given to those that God loves and those who are his sons. So when a Christian husband doesn't live with his wife in an understanding way, when a Christian husband does not live with his wife in an honorable way, he grieves the Spirit's work and the Spirit's control in his life. He quenches the work of God in his life. Guys, is that a sobering thought to you? That is an incredibly sobering thought to me. Wayne Grudem says in his commentary on 1 Peter, he says, and I quote, No Christian husband should presume to think that any spiritual good will be accomplished by his life without an effective ministry of prayer. And no husband may expect an effective prayer life 
unless he lives with his wife in an understanding way, bestowing honor on her to take the time to develop and maintain a good marriage is God's will. It is serving God. It is a spiritual activity that pleases God. End quote. I love that. Guys, learning to do this, learning to live with your wife, in an understanding way, in an honorable way, is very seriously, spiritually important. And we lead by promoting a complete dependence on God's Word. Guys, we are not drill sergeants walking around the house saying, do it and do it now. We are not drill sergeants. We don't shout out orders like that. But rather, honey, let's do as Christ tells us to do in His Word. Let's do it together. And you can do that because you've been building your marriage on God's Word. And so, rather than one of you having, well, I do this, I do that, well, what, is it, what does God specifically say in His Word? If He specifically says something in His Word, well, that's what we're going to do. And if there's an implication from things that God says, then that's what we're going to do. That's how a godly man leads his wife and his family. 47 years. 17,155 days. 258,000 Waking hours, that's how long I've been married to my wife, approximately. And in that period of time, you can count on one hand where we couldn't come to a mutual agreement on something and that I asked my wife to follow my lead even though I knew that she was not in agreement with that decision. You could count in 47 years, 17,155 days, 258,000 waking hours, you can count on one hand that that has happened. It just basically doesn't happen. Why? Because our marriage is built upon the Word of God. And so we make decisions based upon His Word, not our opinion. And there is great harmony in that, and we come together in agreement on that. A true man of God doesn't think of headship as his right, but rather as his responsibility. Headship is not so much about power as it is about duty. Just as an elder will give an account to Christ for the flock that he shepherds, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, the husband will one day answer to Christ for the way that he shepherds his wife and his children. The other day, I, was, I got I I got drawn into a situation with a husband and a wife, and you know what it turned out to be? It basically, just turned out to be where uh, the husband just simply was being lazy. He just was not fighting for his marriage. He just wasn't paying attention. Guys, are you paying attention? Do you pay attention to your marriage? Do you pay attention to your wife, to your children, to your family? Or do you just go merrily along life, skipping along with not a worry in the world until, until your marriage just falls apart? <clears throat> Guys, Fight for your marriage. Don't become so absorbed in your work, in your friends, in your extracurricular activities that you neglect your wife and you don't give her priority or you neglect your children and you don't give them priority. Guys, you have no other greater human priority than the relationship with your wife and your children and your family. Pay attention. 
Now, I know some of you guys are thinking, you know, Jim, if you really knew my wife, you would understand how unbearable it is really to live with her. If you really knew my wife, you would understand that it's not even possible for me to think about obeying these commands. In fact, there are some husbands that are just looking for an easy out. They're just tired of the battle. Tired of the fight. They're not willing to obey God. They're already given up on their marriage. Well, we're just not compatible. You know, that's sort of the world famous. We're just not compatible. Guys, none of us as sinners are compatible with one another. None of us is compatible. A lot of husbands have just arrived at the place where they're not interested in living with their wives in an understanding way. They just want out, like a Lisa Bowman. Hopefully you haven't fantasized about killing your wife. But God's will is not for you to do that. God doesn't want you to give up or abandon your marriage, but rather to trust Him for the strength, the grace, and the wisdom to live with her in an understanding way, to persevere by His grace through the seasons of your marriage. And that will involve good seasons and bad seasons. It will involve up seasons and down seasons. It will involve all kinds of seasons, but by God's grace, you will persevere through them all. By His divine enablement. If you're faithful at obeying these divine mandates, you will not only glorify God, but your wife probably won't be fantasizing of your immediate death. <laughs> Mentally planning your funeral and eulogy or dreaming about another man. Rather, she'll find her marriage to you a great joy and a great delight. And guys, that should be every Christian husband's dream. Yeah. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this instruction that you gave through the Apostle Peter to these near persecuted Christians that have been spread abroad because of unjust treatment and persecution. Lord, help us to learn what this means in our own lives, in our own marriages, in our relationship with our own lives. Lord, if we need to confess sin to you, if we need to confess sin to our wives, may you grant us the grace and the will to do so. Lord, help us to love our wives better. Help us to comprehend them better. Help us to honor them better. That you would be glorified in our marriages and in our families. We pray in Jesus' name. Yeah.